We've been doing a series for a number of weeks now on the work of or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kind of a review, probably for most of us, things that we already know, but it is helpful for us to be reminded of again. Maybe for others, these are new things, and so I thought it would be good to do this short series on the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it is and, and what it isn't. And we have seen, when we talk about the gospel, that the word itself means good news. We like good news. But we will not appreciate the good news until we understand what? The bad news. And the bad news is that we have all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. That we have been separated from our God by our sin. We have fallen in Adam. And we cannot fix our problem. And so we are in need of a sovereign, supernatural salvation that only God himself can bring about. That's how bad our situation is. And as we think about the good news, this good news centers upon a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a personal salvation, a personal redeemer and savior. He is the remedy. And so the gospel is about the Jesus Christ, the son of God, who stepped across the stars and came into our world. And as he came into our world, he came in to accomplish the will of his Father, to do the work of the Father. That's what we spoke about two weeks ago. When we think about the gospel, when we think about Jesus Christ, it is a work that he accomplished, a work that was given to him to do. And so he came into this world with an express purpose. Paul, writing to Timothy, said, this is a trustworthy statement. It is worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came into this world. And we considered two weeks ago what this work was about. We recognized that Christ, as he came, he had an assignment. He was given this work to redeem and to save sinners, to redeem those that had been given to him by his Father. And so He is the servant of the Lord who is set on a task to accomplish, to fulfill. We also saw that this is a strange work. It's a strange work when we think about the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would give his life upon a cross, a Roman cross, and it was there that he would make atonement for sin. And when we think about the message of Christ crucified to the world, it is foolishness. To others, it's a stumbling block. But Paul says to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. We rejoice in this truth, that the Son of God was made to be sin for us on that cross. And so it may be foolishness to the world, but we have come to see the beauty and the glory of what Christ did there on that cross. And we see that it is a substitutionary work. It was Christ who was made to be sin for us in our place. And we'll talk a little more about that today. God made him, the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And then we saw that this was a grueling work. This was not an easy task as Jesus would take upon himself our sin and put an end to uh, the judgment that was due to us because of that sin. And as he even was going to the cross, 
He had the travail of his soul. If there's any way, Father, take this cup from me. He recognized what this meant for him to bear the wrath of his father in the place of his people. And this was no easy thing, but he endured it. He endured the cross bearing the shame. And then we are reminded of this work that Christ accomplished, that it is an all-sufficient work, that it is the work of Christ. Salvation is about the work of another. It's not about what we have done. We're not contributors with him. We are not working with him. Sometimes when you go to, if some of you here, we may have one going to physical therapy, But when you go to physical therapy, you go to the doctor there, and they help you. You participate in this. But if you're going to have heart surgery, you're not a participant. You're just laying there on the table. Someone else is doing the work. And so it is in salvation. We're not a participant. We're not bringing anything to the table. It is an all-sufficient work that Christ has accomplished. It is a finished work. Today we want to look at some of the blessings that come from this. As we think about the good news of the gospel, we want to see the good news that emanates from Christ's work. And we have several words that are given to us in the scriptures that talk about this. His work is presented as a redemption or a ransom. We sang about that this morning. It is also referred to as a propitiation. It's a big word, a propitiation. What does that mean? It's also referred to as reconciliation, that Christ has brought about a reconciliation. Now, these are are big words, but I hope that we're coming to understand them better. And even for children, you can learn these big words and what they mean. And uh, hopefully today we will see something of the nature of, this, of these truths. I want to remind you of these words from the psalmist. Psalm 111, verse 2. It says this, Great are the works of the Lord. And indeed they are. Whether we're looking at creation, the created world around us, or we are looking at the work of Christ. Great are the works of the Lord, and they are studied out by all those who delight in them. They are, they are studied out. It's a strong Hebrew word. They are sought out. We want to know more about it. We want to learn more about it. Now, we all have interest in this life, and those things that we have interest in, we study about them, don't we? We learn about them. Some of you like these superhero movies and uh, magazines, and you know all about these superheroes. Um, Some of you like different hobbies, and you learn about them. You study about them. Um, Some of you know a lot about media devices, and you know all about them. When you get maybe an interest in a certain individual, you want to learn all about them, don't you? And those things that we delight in, we give ourselves to to learn about. And, And the psalmist says that, These works of God, they are great, and those who delight in them, they're going to study them out. They want to learn more about them. And I think this will be an indication if we have been transformed by the grace of God because the gospel is not some side issue. We we are wanting to know more and more about this Savior 
and what he has done, the work of this Savior, what he has done for us. And so we will study them out. We want to learn more about them. And so this is a challenge that is given to us to know more about Christ, the beauty of Christ, the work of Christ, and what he has done for us. That will allow us then to have a greater appreciation and hopefully live a a God-honoring life. So we want to begin, first of all, concerning this work of Christ, that it is a work that has accomplished redemption or ransom. These two words are very similar, redemption, ransom. We have them both in the New Testament. They have the same idea. It's the idea of making a payment to bring about freedom or a release from bondage. Years ago, we had uh, a missionary. Well, we still have a missionary family, the Richardsons, and their children were in a mission school down in Columbia, and it was out in a remote area. And there were these uh, rebel forces that lived out in the jungles, and they came into the school with their guns, and they took away three of the teachers, the men that were there. And they held them for hostage. And uh, they were asking $6 million as a ransom. So this is what a ransom is. They, They were wanting money, and they would bring a release. They would release these men if they received the money. And the mission had a policy that they would never, ever pay a ransom. And uh, for years, they were trying to find these men, locate them, and um, it was not a good ending. These men lost their lives. But this is the idea of a ransom. It's a ransom. It's a payment of money. It's a payment that is made that brings about a release. And this is a term that is used in the Bible with regard to the gospel, that there is a ransom. And this is something that is familiar in the Old Testament. Sometimes a person would be in such a state that they would sell themselves into slavery so that they could pay off a debt to someone that they owed it to. But if someone was able, they might come and pay the debt that was owed and free them from their bondage, from their slavery. We think of the story uh, of the book of Hosea that we looked at months ago. In the book of Hosea, you remember his wife had been unfaithful to him. And she had gone to the far country, you might say, lived a very ungodly life, and she became became a slave. So bad was her life. And you remember the story of this loving husband who went and bought her out of slavery. He brought her out of slavery. It was a ransom. A payment was made. She was released, and she was set free back to her husband. We have the story of Israel, don't we? When they were in Egypt, they were in bondage there to Pharaoh. And that is referred to as this, that God has redeemed them. You remember there was a lamb that was killed and the blood was put on the doorpost. It's a picture of redemption. There was a payment that was made and there was this release of these captives. And it is a a picture of the gospel for us. And so we have this picture of redemption in the Old Testament And it is pointing to Christ who would redeem and who would give his life as a ransom. So what slavery do we need to be redeemed from? 
we, as the Bible says, we have fallen in Adam, we have fallen in sin, and, and we are a slave to sin. We are a slave and we are in bondage. Romans 7.14 says that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. The amazing thing is that we think, as fallen sons of Adam, that we really are free, when in reality we are not free. We are in bondage. We are enslaved to sin. We have a debt before a holy God that we're not even aware of, but we are in this bondage. And in this indebtedness, we can't pay the debt. We can't fix the problem. But what we find is in the gospel that Jesus Christ, as the great mediator, has come to redeem to pay a price, to pay a ransom, so that there might be freedom, that there might be release from this captivity and from this bondage. If you're in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter speaks about it here. He talks about the price that was paid so that we could be redeemed, that this debt could be covered, that we could be set free. And we read in verse 17, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear throughout the time of your stay here uh, here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things. Peter is calling the people of God, these people, to live holy lives. Be holy, for God is holy. But I want you to know this. Here's motivation for this, knowing this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. It wasn't money that was paid. It wasn't kind of any kind of material thing that was offered up. You weren't redeemed with silver or gold from your aimless conduct that you received by tradition from your fathers. But in contrast, rather than gold and silver, It was with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It goes back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? There was these lambs that were killed and slain, and they were freed. And so it is that this was pointing to Christ, and he has come, and he has given his own blood. This is the payment that has been made. We might be released from bondage to sin, from the debt of our sin. He has paid the debt in full. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom. Again, it was not gold or silver, but it was by his own blood that he made this ransom, paid the debt, and we have been made free. There is freedom and there is blessing that comes as a result of this ransom, of this being redeemed. Even as Gomer was in prison and and, and, and in bondage, in slavery, she was released and enjoyed freedom and blessing. And so it is in the gospel. So there is 
redemption from the curse of the law. Paul says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For the law says that everyone who dies on a tree, cursed is that one. That's what we deserve. We deserve the curse of God, the judgment of God. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse, having been made a curse for us, bearing the curse of God so that we could be set free, that we were ransomed, that we were redeemed. He has redeemed us from wickedness. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Romans 6, Paul there says, Formerly you were slaves of sin, but now having been slaves of sin, you've been set free that you might present yourselves and your bodies as instruments of righteousness unto God. So he has brought about a freedom for those who belong to Christ. They have been bought with a price. They've been brought out of the slave market of sin. And in this transaction, we become his own possession. So Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this. Do you not know that you were bought with a price? You've been bought with a price, and your life is not your own. But you belong, body and soul, to God himself. So he's purchased us, not to go on our own way, but purchased us and brought us back to himself, the greatest and the best of all beings. And so he has redeemed us. He has accomplished this for us. The second thing that Christ has done by his work, this is good news of the gospel, is that he is, his work has accomplished a propitiation, a propitiation. Now, that's, that's a big word. And I didn't know what this word meant for years growing up in church. It took me, I was much older in my life before I really understood what this word was. I read it often in the Bible, but really didn't understand it as I should have. And it is a big word, propitiation. But it has the idea of appeasing or placating. It's to turn, a ra- turn away wrath by making satisfaction. All right, turning away wrath to ma- by making satisfaction for the wrong that has been done. So think about a child, maybe siblings. They get in a squabble, and one of the one of the siblings uh, takes the, his sister's doll and he breaks it. He's angry and he breaks the doll, and um, there, of course, is going to be uh, some anger about that and uh, something that has been done wrong to them, and uh, there is maybe displeasure and disfavor as a result of this. But then maybe they get into their piggy bank, and they go and buy another doll to replace it. And we might say the, the anger would then be turned away, the wrath would be turned away from this person because there has been made satisfaction for it. And so in the gospel, this is what Christ has done for us. Propitiation, it presupposes the wrath and the displeasure of God. We need to understand that about God, that he is loving, he is gracious, and he is merciful, but he is also 
holy. He is a God of wrath. He is a God of judgment. And even though he's long-suffering, he is still a God of wrath and a God of judgment. And sin is something that evokes a response in this God, in our God. It evokes a spirit of anger and displeasure at sin. Now, when we think about the wrath and the displeasure of God, it is not a capricious, uncontrolled, irrational fury. That's what we often see in this life, isn't it? We talk about road rage. Somebody gets angry, and all kinds of things happen as a result of that. We've seen it probably in our own lives, and we've probably been guilty of this. I'm sure we have. But it's not this kind of anger that is capricious and uncontrolled. It is a holy wrath, a holy wrath of God. Robert Raymond said this, God's wrath is simply his instinctive, holy indignation and the settled opposition of his holiness to sin, which be, which be, uh, which because he is righteous is, expresses itself in judicial punishment. God is a holy God. He cannot wink at sin. He must judge sin. He will by no means, the scripture says, he will by no means clear the guilty. And this is where the work of Christ comes into play for guilty sinners. We can't turn away the wrath of a holy God for our sin. But here is this mediator who's come into our world to do that very thing, to make satisfaction so that the wrath of God is averted from us, but it is satisfied because of what Christ has done upon the cross. If the Lord should mark out our iniquities, we could not stand before him. And so the good news of the gospel is that at the cross, Christ's death turned away God's wrath and displeasure towards all who savingly trust in him and belong to him. These words from Romans 3.25, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Christ shed his blood. He bore our sins on the cross and he absorbed in himself the wrath of God in the place of the believing sinner so that God's, God is now satisfied because payment has been made, satisfaction has been made. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 4, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 4. As you're turning there, I want to reread the verse that we read in our affirmations and Tim read for us in our scripture reading, and it's Hebrews 2.17. In all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. First John chapter 4, we have this word here. It's only used four times in the New Testament as propitiation. I think the NIV translates it uh, as a sacrifice of atonement, but there's this idea of turning away the wrath of God, 
making satisfaction for sin. And you notice these words. This is one of my favorite verses, 1 John 4.10. In this is love. I'm going to talk about the love of God. Here it is. And this is the love of God. That not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who has appeased the holy God. He is the one who has mediated, who has come and bore the wrath of God, absorbed it in himself and made satisfaction. And God was pleased, the father was pleased with this sacrifice that his son offered up. It made atonement for sin. It made a covering for sin. And all of that's pictured in the Old Testament. The day the day of atonement. There is a goat that is, you remember, a goat that is killed. The blood is taken into the Holy of Holies, sprinkled on the holy seat there for a covering for sin. Another goat is taken far away into the wilderness. It's released there. The sins of the people of God having been pronounced upon the head of both of those animals and satisfaction has been made by the work of a substitute. All of that pointing to Christ because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But this one, having offered up himself once for all, he made a covering, he made atonement, he turned away the wrath of God, he satisfied the debt has been paid in full. His holiness has been satisfied. This is a word to me that has become a very sweet word in all of the Bible, this idea of propitiation, the sacrifice that Christ made, absorbing the wrath of God, taking what I should have received, but himself bearing it and bearing it away. This is the good news, the good news coming from the work of Jesus Christ. The third is his work of reconciliation. Reconciliation. What is that? Well, reconciliation presupposes that there is a relationship that has been disrupted. When there's a few between siblings, when there's a few between spouses, when there's a spew between workmates, There is a disruption of that relationship. There's a disruption because of sin or some misbehavior. And that relationship is broken, we might say. And to reconcile means to to bring back together, to restore that relationship. And as we think of the word reconciliation in the Bible, its focus is on this that we are alienated from God. As we have come into this world, as we are born, fallen in Adam, and given the nature that we have, a sinful nature, we are, we are alienated from God. And so this word, this word uh, presupposes that there is this disruption in relationship with God. We've been like sheep going our own way. And so as we think about this, The cause of this alienation is, of course, our sin. We have sinned against God. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sins have separated us from God. And not only is 
there this disruption, but there's enmity in our own hearts. The Bible says in Colossians 1, you once were alienated and you were enemies in your mind by wicked works. Do you realize as fallen sons of Adam that we all have enmity in our heart towards God? That's what we are by nature. We're we're just sheep going our own way, living our life for ourselves. We have no concern for for the true and the living God, but we are living life for ourselves. And so there is this alienation. There is this, even this hostility that we have in our heart towards God left to ourselves. The mindset on the flesh is enmity, Paul says, enmity towards God. But also as we think of this idea of reconciliation and this disrupted relationship, God has enmity and he is alienated, we might say, from sinners. John Murray said this, he said, the cause of the alienation is, of course, our sin, but the alienation consists not only in our unholy enmity towards God, but also in God's holy alienation from us. Our sin has separated us from God. And what does Christ do? Christ comes as a mediator to bring, as it were, two parties together. And he is the one that mediates in such a way that through his cross, there is the basis and the grounds for reconciliation with the holy God to be brought back into relationship with him and favor and blessing to be restored to him. That which has disrupted the relationship has been dealt with by the work of Christ on the cross. So we read these familiar words from Romans 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies, we were alienated from God, but it was Christ who himself reconciled us through the death of uh, his death upon the cross. And so in this work, God, in the work of Christ, removes the grounds for the cause of his own holy alienation from us. And he establishes now a relationship of favor and of peace. Of favor and of peace. We're going to be looking at our small groups this week in our book that in our relationship as a result of the gospel that through Jesus Christ we can say that God is our friend. He is our friend Jesus said that to his disciples, I call you my friends. And this is what Christ has accomplished. And again, it is through his work. He was cut off so that we might be reconciled. He was rejected so that we might be accepted. He was forsaken that we might be brought near. On our end, the gospel is a call to be reconciled to God through repentance and faith. Paul says to the Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Where do we find reconciliation? Where do we find that we can be made right with God in a right relationship to him? It is in the gospel. It is in the person of Jesus Christ, turning from our sin, our enmity toward him, bowing the knee to Christ, trusting in him alone. And therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to understand this, this will make us to be people, if we belong to Christ, who have a heart for reconciliation. As much as it depends on you, Paul says, be at peace with all men. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So there ought to be this spirit, this heart within us as well, that we want to be those who, are, who desire and pursue after being reconciled, dealing with things that have brought disruption and bringing about reconciliation with one another. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at this, but I just want to mention this. This work of Christ has accomplished the grounds for the justification of sinners. That in the gospel, God, it's an amazing statement from Romans 4, verse 5. In the gospel, God justifies the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly, and that because of Christ, because of what Christ has done. We bring nothing to the table, do we? We come as sinners, and it is Christ through him that we are justified, that we are forgiven, that we are accepted before a holy God. So Reformation Sunday, we're going to be looking at that verse from Romans chapter 5, and See again and be reminded of the amazing grace of God that he justifies the ungodly. As we think about these three words, this is what Christ has done for all those that belong to him. He's redeemed us at a great price with his own blood that we could be forgiven and, and set free. He has turned away the wrath of God for us. And he has reconciled us to a holy God. As I was preparing this week, my mind went back to an occasion when I was in college. And when I was working in the summers, I worked construction. And one of my coworkers um, had gone home one night and got drunk and got in an argument with his wife. And he beat her to death. And... uh, I went to the trial. He stood before three judges in the courtroom down at the Hamilton County Courthouse, and I went and sat in and watched this uh, this um, case. And he confessed that he had done it. And when he had killed his wife that night, he said, I'm going to burn in hell. He confessed it. All the evidence was presented. It was certainly an open and shut case. And as I sat there looking at this, I thought, how wonderful it would be if someone could come in and just fix the problem there in the courthouse. But then as I thought about that, I thought, this is me. This is, this is what happened, has happened to me in the gospel. I'm the one who is guilty. I'm the one that I can't fix this problem. 
But there is a wonderful mediator who has come, Jesus Christ, who's turned away the wrath of God in my place. He's made satisfaction to the law of God. He has redeemed me. He's set me free from what I deserve. And he has reconciled me to himself. And that is what the gospel is about. This is what the work of Christ has accomplished for all who savingly have put their trust in him. Been bought with a price. Now glorify God with your body and soul, which are his. May we do so. If you're here today without Christ, we point you again to him. And we would say exactly what Paul would say if he were here. I beseech you to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. This is the only place that you will find forgiveness of sin. This is the only name given under heaven whereby you can be saved. Run to Jesus. Cast your soul upon him. He receives sinners. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you today for the gospel.